Welcome to the program, listeners. You are listening to Let's Talk on WISR 680 AM, 107.5 FM. I'm Tyler Friel with you. Let's Talk, of course, the half hour where we sit down and chat with local businesses, organizations, nonprofits here in the Butler area. Our guest today is Independence Health System. This is the new name for the merger of Butler Health System and Excella Health. And so we'll get into a whole discussion today. Our topic is cardiogenic shock team. Our guests are Dr. Brian Carey he is the interventional cardiologist and medical director for the Cardiathic Cath Lab at Independence Health System. Dr. Carey, how are you? Great, thank you. And then our other guest is Chelsea Chaika. She's the cardiogenic shock coordinator. Chelsea, how are you? I'm well, thanks. So we'll have a full discussion surrounding this because it is a topic that maybe our listeners are not too familiar with. I know that I'm not super familiar with it, so it'll be a good educational lesson for us. But if you cannot stick around for the full half hour and you would like to join this conversation at a later time, we have you covered. You can visit WISR680.com. Just look under the podcast page, find Let's Talk, and then you'll be able to find them and find our conversation as well. So again, that's all online, WISR680.com. So with that, Dr. Carey, I will start with you. Let's just ask, what is cardiogenic shock? Cardiogenic shock is when um, a patient's heart begins to fail, sort of towards the uh, very advanced uh, heart disease, and they because their heart is failing, they aren't able to generate blood pressure. Their, their heart's so weak that they have low blood pressure. And believe it or not, we all talk about high blood pressure and how bad that is, and we treat that. But low blood pressure is actually worse um, because uh, it's often the last stop before you know somebody passes away, they get low blood pressure. So it's when a patient's heart disease is advanced to the point that they have low blood pressure and their other organs begin to fail. Their kidneys begin to fail, their livers begin to fail, and uh, often neurologically they begin to fail. They don't think clearly because their heart isn't working well enough. Is this something that is progressive or is this something that happens immediately? Uh, can be both. So oh. <laughs> the most common cause is a heart attack. And, you know, so that, you know, you wake up one morning, you're feeling okay, and you have a major heart attack. Um, and uh, you, that can lead to cardiogenic shock. But we also see it in patients who have chronic heart disease that, you know, um, that progresses and gets worse, and then they have cardiogenic shock. Okay, so cardiogenic shock kind of encapsulates a number of different issues that we know. So when I, we hear heart attack, that's technically cardiogenic shock? You can correct me if I'm wrong. Not necessarily. <laughs> it puts you at risk for it. Okay. So um, is that... Patients who have heart attacks don't necessarily have cardiogenic shock. Some patients come in, if they get in quick enough, and that's part of what we want to talk about, identifying your heart attack symptoms promptly. If you get to us quickly enough and we can reverse the heart attack, you tend not to develop cardiogenic shock. If you're delayed or it's a major, you know, a really, really big heart attack, sometimes you'll have cardiogenic shock early on. Okay. Um, but... So we hope to catch our heart attack patients before they develop cardiogenic shock. Um, so let's get into, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about symptoms because I think maybe that's a good place to start. So cardiogenic shock, and I think you maybe alluded to it uh, a little bit there as well. What are some of the symptoms? Uh, would people notice symptoms or by this point, whenever they have cardiogenic shock, are they already in a hospital setting? I would hope they're already in a hospital setting. Okay. You know, so I think you have symptoms of heart disease, which are chest pain, pressure, tightness in your chest. Some people don't 
most people don't use the term pain. They say they have a tightness or a heaviness. Um, patients could be short of breath and swelling in the ankles. Signs of congestive heart failure um, are going to be the symptoms. So the typical heart symptoms that a patient would see, and then they come to us and they're really an extreme situation is when you have cardiogenic shock. So, you know, some patients, some patients come to us through the ER already in shock. They're confused. Uh, oftentimes they're breathing really heavy. They're sweaty. Okay. And when we talk about, and we'll go to Chelsea here on this one, the cardiogenic shock team, uh, what does that look like? Uh, and where is it located here in Butler? So it is a team that we have put together. Um, it's a multidisciplinary approach, which means that we have multiple physicians from different areas within the hospital, such as the critical care team, the interventional cardiology team, our CT surgery, that whenever we have a patient that we suspect has progressed into cardiogenic shock, um, they get together, they discuss the case, and they say, yeah, we think this is cardiogenic shock. And then the team also has standardized the type of care that we give to be able to allow it to be more efficient um, to help pr um, prevent more issues and hopefully have better outcomes. So as we talk demographics, uh, is this a wide range of the population or is there a certain type of person that, that, that you would say this is, I don't want to say common in, but you know, out of the patients that you see, is there a certain demographic that is common? That's a good question. The, uh, cause we've, it's, it, it's across the board. Okay. So we see it in older patients who really have a lot of other health conditions. And, um, but we had a young patient in, in his fifties who runs a, you know, an athletic, he trains baseball players, really good shape guy who had never had a heart attack. And he came through the, uh, our office on a Friday with shortness of breath and swelling in the ankles. And by Sunday, he was in the hospital in cardiogenic shock and the mm -hmm. team had to be activated to get him the appropriate care. So it can happen to young people. It can happen to older patients. It can happen to men. It can happen to women. So uh, people hear that and may all of a sudden they think, oh, I'm a healthy individual. You know, I, I train, I exercise, I do things like that. So when you see it with a patient like this gentleman here, what would lead? What what were some of the reasons as to why that this happened? Sometimes we don't know. We have fancy Latin words for that, like <laughs> idiopathic, which I always tell my patients when the doctor doesn't really know what caused it, he makes up a long Latin word uh, <laughs> to make him sound smart. So, you know, in his case, it may have been a virus, you know, and not necessarily COVID, but any of the more traditional viruses can attack the heart and make it weak. Uh, patients with... Um, you know, long-standing high blood pressure can get congestive heart failure that can, you know, it's cardiogenic shock is kind of the last path. All heart disease can eventually lead to cardiogenic shock. So, okay. it, um, well, you, you talked about blood pressure there and I want to, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because as you mentioned, high blood pressure, you know, we think of that, all right, avoid that. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what that means. I know the number and the number, okay, this number high is bad and this number low is good, but what does blood pressure do? What are we looking at there and why is it important to have a good number when it comes to blood pressure? So low blood pressure is pretty much your heart isn't pumping well enough to push the blood out into the rest of the body. So whenever you're not getting enough blood to the rest of your body, it's going to affect your brain. It's going to affect your kidneys. It's going to affect your liver. So that low blood pressure 
temporarily for a couple, like a half hour or so isn't a big deal. But whenever that gets to prolonged, that's where it's that progressive point where your body starts to go into what we call a form of shock. Um, and it starts to cause more issues with your other organs. And you kind of, I want to say the word decompensate, but you just progress worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and our goal is to try to catch it as early as possible, which is why hopefully we don't have a lot of cardiogenic shock patients, right? <laughs> Our goal is to catch it as early as possible, but sometimes it can progress quickly also. So conversely, high blood pressure, if you could just describe what's happening there for our listeners. Um, high blood pressure is more when your body, is, your heart is working overtime to try to get the blood out of the heart into the rest of the body. So that can have the same impact on the rest of your organs. Um, I would say it's a much slower process. Though. Yeah. So high blood pressure over years and years um, takes its toll on your kidneys and takes its toll on your other organs. Low blood pressure is can immediately. I mean, the, the kidneys can start to fail within 15 minutes or half an hour. Oh, wow. Other organs, the brain is very sensitive to low blood pressure. Yeah. So um, where high blood pressure, we start bothering you and it's 20 years later if we don't do a good job that you start to see um, the bad effects of high blood pressure. Low blood pressure is really an immediate emergency. Low low blood pressure, your blood carries your oxygen. So when you have low blood pressure and you're not getting the blood everywhere in the body, you're not getting enough oxygen to everywhere else in the body. So not enough oxygen over a short period of time is going to have a really big impact where that kind of causes and leads to some of those issues. Again, our guest, Dr. Brian Carey and nurse uh, Chelsea uh, Chaika, and our topic is cardiogenic shock. So you mentioned our goal today here is to educate listeners on how to not be (laughs) into the cardiogenic shock team. So let's start there. What are some of the things that we can do to make sure that we are taking the preventive steps to avoid this area? Um, so all the things that you've been taught since you were in grade school, health class, or, so you want to follow up with your family doctor on a regular basis. You want to um, know what your blood pressure is, and if it's high, treat it. Um, I do want to point out, because some people tend to l- chronically, you know, run a low blood pressure. I have patients that come in and say, my blood pressure's already low, but they're really healthy, mm-hmm. and they tend to run maybe their top number their systolic numbers in the 90s that's not cardiogenic shock you don't need to run to your doctor's office and say i think i have cardiogenic shock um but you want to make sure that you you know your healthy lifestyle so blood pressure cholesterol sugar don't smoke diet and exercise regular appointments with your doctor and if you feel symptoms of chest pain pressure tightness shortness of breath swelling in the ankles these are the things that are signs of early potentially heart disease, you always want to take those seriously and you want to get those checked out right away. You don't want to put those things off because if we can get to you before you go into cardiogenic shock, that's obviously the goal. When it comes to the point where you do go into cardiogenic shock, I mean, how dire are situations whenever that situation happens? How serious is this? Extraordinarily dire, and that's really what this is all about. When I was in training 20 years ago, I went to the Mayo Clinic for my board review so I could get certified to do cardiology. And there were all these lectures on all these different disease processes that we had great exciting treatments for. And at the time, cardiogenic shock, there was very little to do for it. And the mortality, patients dying when they developed cardiogenic shock was somewhere between 50 to 80%. 
Really? So, yeah, I mean, just really, really, really bad outcomes. And there was not a lot of treatment options available at the time. So the biggest determinant whether you lived or died was your age. The older you were, you almost assuredly passed away. Young people, still 50% of them were passing away. We've, uh, um, in the 20 years since then, there's been a lot of progress in terms of artificial heart pumps that can be used to support the heart temporarily while you're recovering identification, treatment standardization, we've learned a lot. Uh, and so the goal is to get the mortality rates from cardiogenic shock down from 50 to 80% to 20%. And centers in big cities at big academic places have shown that when they do this sort of thing, when they educate, when they get teams of different doctors from different specialties with different expertise together that can be activated quickly, that they can accomplish that. And that's what we're trying to bring to Butler is to educate to get a team together so we can provide that here because if you need to go downtown and that takes an hour or two hours that can really impact the you know your outcome yeah it seems chelsea when we're talking about this time really is of the essence it is um and they've seen some of the research that i have found one hour in delay of care can increase that mortality and that poor outcome by 10 percent that's a significant amount. Exactly. So the faster that we can recognize it, the faster that we can take care of it, the better off you're going to be. But the goal is really prevention, prevent having a heart attack, prevent having um, heart failure if possible. And if you do have those things, recognizing it quickly and getting help quickly so that we don't progress into that point. So uh, and you talked about when you started 20 years ago, I'm sure much like everything, everything has significantly improved in the technology and then obviously research. Where are we technology wise when it comes to this field in terms of improving outcomes for individuals? So that's, you know, I always say there's no reason for a person with t in this, in our country, in Butler, Pennsylvania, to ever die of kidney failure because we have dialysis. So mm -hmm. if you choose to, if you have, if your problem is kidney failure, yeah, we want to prevent it. We would prefer you don't, but we have that backup that if you need it until you can get a transplant, you go on dialysis. We never had, there's been lots of talk about artificial hearts and the progress that's been made. Uh, and we, there is heart transplant, but there are still a lot of people who are viable you know, they're neurologically intact, their other organ systems well, but they die of heart disease because we don't have the equivalent of dialysis at this point readily available for heart disease. We're getting there. We're close. Really? That in our lifetimes, I believe, will be there. Um, because we have now these, there's a, and there's a variety of them out there, sort of artificial heart pumps. So one of the things that we have at Butler is called the Impella device, where we put a catheter, just a tube, inside the main pumping chamber of your heart, the left ventricle, and it sucks the blood out of the left ventricle, and then it pressure shoots it into your aorta, your main blood vessel to, that takes oxygenated blood to the rest of your body. And with that device, we c it, and that's really what the heart does, right? It's a very simple organ. It just pumps oxygenated blood around to the rest of your body. We now with this device, which we can implant once we make the decision to put it in, we can get it in in 15 minutes. Um, we can do a significant percentage of the of the work that your heart would would do with an impella to allow you time to to heal, to allow us to treat whatever caused the initiated the cardiogenic shock in the first place. And there are, 
you know, other devices out there that provide more support um, and, and we're gaining expertise in that. There's, you know, there's still some hurdles to get over, but I can see the day where, you know, if you come in and you didn't, your, your brain's still functioning, we can, we can keep your heart going until we can, you know, that you shouldn't, just like a dialysis patient, we can keep you going heart-wise until we can get a transplant or your heart, your own heart heals. I find that fascinating. <laughs> I'm sure you do too. <laughs> That's why we're here. We That's do too. We love it. That's why we're here. Uh, it's it. exciting too. You yeah. know, I mean, as a cardiologist to see, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, we still have a long way to go, uh, but it, but we're getting there. Heart disease, we hear it all the time, uh, Chelsea. You know, every because obviously there's some uh, serious medical issues that can derive from heart disease. What are some of the things that can lead to heart disease that people need to be aware of uh, and say, hey, these are the things that you got to cut out, or these are the things we got to do in order to improve heart health? Uh, the big thing I think that um, comes to my mind is diabetes. Mm. It's very prevalent um, across the nation, and diabetes. It's as your blood sugar gets worse, it progresses um, for cardiac disease. <clears throat> Same thing with strokes. Strokes also put you at high risk for having a heart attack. So I think trying to prevent those things, keeping your blood pressure down, exercising, eating healthy, keeping your weight down, um, not smoking. I mean, I know vaping is the big thing now. We don't don't have all the research, you know what I mean, that we do with cigarettes, but trying to keep um, those toxins out of your body so that your heart can be healthy. That's that's really what the goal is. Genetically, uh, how aware should people be of genetics when it comes to heart disease? I mean, in addition to doing all the things Chelsea mm -hmm. talked about, how aware do we need to be of our genetics? Um, I told this story the last time I was on a couple years <laughs> talking about another topic, but I had a uh, professor in medical school, Dr. Hart, believe it or not. Really? He's a cardiologist who trained at um, Cleveland Clinic and practiced at Allegheny General for years. And was a f he knew my parents and he was a good guy. And he so he took me on to do a rotation with him to, you know, because he knew I wanted to do cardiology. And one day he stopped us on rounds and he said, Dr. Carey, give me the three top causes of heart disease. And I got really stressed out because I wanted to impress them. And there are five main causes of heart disease. There's blood pressure, cholesterol, sugar, diabetes, family history, and smoking. And if you can't rip those five off, you're never going to get into cardiology training. It's just, that's simple. <laughs> but no one ever asked me for three. So I, I said, well, and I started to give them five. And he looked at me and said, Carrie, I didn't ask you for five. I asked you for three. And we're not getting paid by the hour here. Give me three. And so I'm sweating now. And I'm... You know, and he laughs and he taps me on the back and he said, this is a trick question. It's family history, family history, and family history. Mm -hmm. And his point is that we focus so much on the things we can control. Don't smoke. Diet and exercise so you don't get diabetes. See your doctor, and if you have blood pressure, cholesterol, treat them. But the reality is genetics overrides all that stuff. So, yes, if you have a family history of heart disease, you need to, you know, 
as I often tell my patients, you need to grow up faster than everybody else. You know, you need when you're young to not smoke. Don't ever smoke a cigarette. Don't start. Get your blood pressure and cholesterol checked. There are some screening tests that are now available. We do CT calcium scores and other things here in Butler to sort of identify which patients should really be aggressive. And, and certainly patients with a bad family history need to avail themselves of those things earlier on than patients that are less likely to develop heart disease. That seems to be, I mean, would that be just advice for patients really across the board is mm-hmm. understand and learn your family history? I mean, just not only for heart disease, but for other issues as well. Yes. Absolutely, but also... You know, there are always exceptions to those rules. So if yeah. you have chest pain and everybody in your family lives to 100 and never had a heart attack, you still got to get that checked out. But yes, <laughs> absolutely uh, be aware of your family history and, and make sure your doctor knows your family history. Our guests, Dr. Brian Carey and Chelsea Chaika, uh, we're talking cardiogenic shock. Uh, how has uh, things developed at Butler Memorial Hospital. We talked kind of about technology in general, but how have you seen this unit, this team develop in in your time there, Chelsea? Oh, significantly. Um, I've worked at previous hospitals. I've been at Butler Hospital for a little over eight years now. I worked in the surgical ICU um, for seven years and I've progressed into the education department. And now I'm the cardiogenic shock coordinator and um, along with the education department. And I can say that I've, like I said, I've worked other places, and the, the care that is given there is next level, and the progression in the type of procedures and the type of devices and the type of um, care that we give, it really has grown along with the rest of um, healthcare, and it's, I'm honored to work there. So what led you into this line of work? I'm always curious as people, you know, all right, you're an RN, but how do you decide that this is what you want to pursue? Uh, to be honest, I um, originally went into forensic chemistry major um, whenever I was coming out of high school, and I decided to kind of go a different route, and my goal was to try to use chemistry in a different way, and my sister was like, oh, you should totally go into nursing. You'll use it. I don't know. I, I mean, medications. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I use it as much as I would have um, anticipated at the time, but I had no clue what I was getting into. I never really was in the hospital, um, but I wanted to help people. I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to um, know that when I came home at the end of the day, like I did something good and I saved a life or I helped somebody get through something. Um, And I started off um, my baby nurse. I was a telemetry nurse, so I took care of patients with a heart monitor. A lot of them were heart attacks. A lot of them are CHF or COPD um, patients. And that was primarily what I've taken care of my entire career. And I can tell you on a daily basis, I know that I, even in education, I know that the impact that I'm making I'm saving a life or I am advocating for my patients and my nurses and making sure that we're providing the best care. Um, so that's kind of how my career has progressed. Oh, that's the same thing you, Dr. Carey. Why cardiology? Uh, cardiology is um, because you can make a difference. You know, at the end of the day, you know, somebody comes in with a heart attack and you do a procedure and they're better. Um, and it it's... Um, and there's still this frontier out there. There's cardiogenic shock. We still have a way to go in cardiology. So there's, you know, there's research opportunity, but there's day-to-day rewards that, you mm-hmm. know, you make a difference in people's lives. Um, 
It pays really well. Which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to take a second and point out Chelsea, the work that she's done with the cardiogenic shock program. She's extraordinary. And really what we're trying to do is educate everybody in the community, but also within the hospital. Because so if we delay identifying cardiogenic shock as providers, it really can have catastrophic offense effects for the patient. Um, and Chelsea has made this her passion over the last year and put so much time and effort into the education of, of everybody and bringing together different people from different specialties in the hospital. And she's doing a tremendous job of it and she deserves to be recognized for it. And it, she will, it, it will lead to lives being saved uh, in this community, not, you know, 10 a month, but if we can save a couple because we, this year, because Chelsea's efforts of going out and identifying it, we find people earlier. Um, so she's really put a lot of effort into it. I just show up for these things and <laughs> smile. But Ch <laughs> Chelsea's the energy behind it. Well, thank you. <laughs> On average, how many uh, patients would you say are coming through the cardiogenic shock unit uh, at the hospital each year? So we really just started tracking it with this team. Um, on my end. Okay. And I can say since the beginning of the year, we've probably been around 10 patients already yeah. that we've definitely identified and been this able is, to go yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, Dr. Carey can probably speak to over a longer term better than I can. I think that's, that's, you know, get, we're in our infancy as a cardiogenic shock team. So, um, part of that is identifying and then tracking. So Chelsea has a spreadsheet so we can identify how many we're seeing. So I think two a month is what you're mm -hmm. saying, and that sounds about right. I think just last year we were probably less than one a month. Okay. So we've already seen that we're identifying people and making available these procedures and techniques and protocols for treatment. We've more than doubled in the last six months to a year. And you would say that's more based off of having that uh, ability to identify these issues as opposed to this is happening more and more often. Right? And, and I would say that's also community-based. If you talk on like a national level or the bigger hospitals, I mean, they see it a lot more um, because they have, you know what I mean, different resources and stuff. But I would definitely say that um, it's probably about two a month. Okay. Again, our guest doctor. As of right now. As of right yeah, now. Who knows? Yeah, who I mean, As it, the education grows and the recognition occurs, you know what I mean? And we're tracking the early cases, too. Our goal is to not necessarily have all of these patients be on devices and, you know what I mean, have mm -hmm. all of that support. If we can catch them earlier and we can treat them without getting them to the ICU, I mean, that's what you want. Right. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So if we can get the community to help prevent having heart attacks and <laughs> prevent having heart failure. And then we can also have our nurses and our physicians um, be able to identify that very early piece of it. I mean, the goal is to prevent people from getting into the ICU, getting on devices and having to be there for days or weeks to allow their heart to recover. So obviously, as you guys have been talking, you know, seeing your PCP, seeing your doctor, getting those, you know, evaluations constantly are very important. But if people do have to consult with a cardiologist and start to go that route, what options do they have locally through Independence Health System uh, in order to check out cardiology and things like that? So we have offices um, at the Crossroads building here. Any of your family docs can get you in there. Uh, we're easy to find on the internet. Uh, we have office in Slippery Rock. We have office in Clarion. We have office um, Cranberry, yep, Seven Fields office. So we're, uh, 
we're in Indiana, Pennsylvania. So we're, and now of course with independence, we're in Greensburg and all the places. Mm. So I think we're pretty easy to find and, you know, uh, we should be easily accessible. We don't currently have a same day clinic, but you know, when you're, your family was small enough community. We all know each other. If your family doctor wants to get you in, we can get you in really fast. So yeah, come to see us in the office. Definitely better than waiting till you need the emergency room and these cardiogenic shock things. So again, as our, our time is wrapping up here, what's Chelsea, your message to folks like, okay, they've been listening for a half hour. They, they've heard us kind of get into the nitty gritty of all of this, but what's your big message that individuals need to take away? My big thing is um, prevention and awareness um, I know that being an ICU nurse for 10 years and a telemetry nurse for two, I mean, my 12 years of experience, it's common for people to be like, oh, it's chest pain, and they sit down, and maybe it gets relieved, or that they walk, and it gets worse, and then they sit down, and it's better, and they'll come in a day later, whenever mm -hmm. now it's not going away. Um, when you first recognize those those symptoms, don't ignore them. Women have even more um, different presentation, F fatigue, right? Yeah. Like there's there's a very rare presentation that can happen for um, females, for diabetics. So with that, I just don't delay the care. Mm -hmm. The longer that damage is there, the higher risk you're going to be for these complications and to go into cardiogenic shock. So if you're, if you're noticing those symptoms, if you're like, oh, I don't need to go to the ED, even make a call to your doctor and be like, hey, I've just started to have some of this. Like, what do you think I should do? Contact someone in the medical field and it doesn't hurt to go to the ED. And that's and what I was evaluated. gonna ask. If you start to have this happen, is it a trip to the emergency room is probably the best idea? Yeah, I always say I can't treat chest pain over the telephone. You need mm -hmm. to go somewhere where they can do an EKG, they can do a chest X-ray and they can do blood work. It's your heart, you know. I mean, you can't you you can't take it lightly. If if you're con if you have a symptom and you're concerned it's coming from your heart and it doesn't go away, it, you need to get somewhere where they can do some testing immediately for you. And I know from like personal experience, sometimes you just need someone else to tell you to go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're and you're questioning it, and you're like, I don't know. Do I really have to go? How busy is the emergency department? How long am I going to have to sit there? But that's fine if you have a splinter, but not, <laughs> exactly. not, not if you're exactly. having a heart attack. Like <laughs> talk to, I, I know if you tell your spouse, like they're going to say, well, we need to go because they're concerned about you and they yeah. love you. So if you have that thought process, that means you should go. So not only the individual, some responsibility there, but family members, mm -hmm. friends step in and say, hey, this is serious. Let's get to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. That, that would probably be my biggest takeaway. Not just prevent it, but when you recognize it, don't delay it. It's it, cardiogenic shock is preventable. Um, and we created a team to help treat it and recognize it and have optimal outcomes. But it's really nice if we don't have to use it. Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea Chaika, Dr. Brian Carey, thanks so much for stopping by. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. If you missed any of our interview, you can check it out online, WISR680.com. It's the place to take care of that. I'm Tyler Friel, and this has been Let's Talk on WISR.